Thank you, Chad. Appreciate that. Did Tito tell that same story in that service? In the service, did he talk about being an emotional, creative? Okay. <laughs> I want to thank the emotional creatives. I had to step out so I don't know if he said the same thing or not. How are you guys? Good, good. So, you didn't wash away. We're glad of that. Um, if, uh, if you do hear of anyone that uh, has need, uh, they've been flooded or whatever it is, uh, and you can get us their information, please, please let us know. Uh, we have uh, a Serve Sunday coming up March the 17th uh, in which you can actually sign up for today out there, uh, or you can sign up online, you can sign up through the app, you can sign up through the website. We've got all these registrations now where you can uh, do it all electronically. Uh, this will probably be our biggest serve Sunday yet uh, to date. Uh, we have more projects, more places for people to serve. Uh, Anne works tirelessly to make this thing happen uh, and, is, and has even really been trying to like help make sure that uh, we've got lots of projects where families can be involved and have the kids there, whatever, uh, so that anybody can, can be a part of what's going on and, and you know, always shapes and forms. So anyway, that, that's coming up, but uh, you know, uh, we'd, we'd love, love to just, especially if there's people in our community that are flooded, that got flooded, uh, you know, we, we would love to know so that we could try to help them if that's possible because that's who God's called us to be. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, so since I'm talking about a couple things like Surf Sunday, also uh, something uh, to look at, uh, talking about the app, uh, if um, you want to get your phone out, you can actually play with it during my message today or whatever. Uh, you can go to the app store and you can look up Church Center app. And if you look up Church Center app in the app store, you can download that and if you will click for it to allow to see your location, it should show churches that are near you. And then you can click 24 as your church. And then you can make a little sign-in thing. And you can go in there and you can register for stuff. You can see events that are coming up. You can register for them. You can give through it. Uh, you can uh, update your information. Uh, like it's hooked to our database so, like, you know, let's say you got a new phone number because you're running from somebody or something or whatever. I don't know. Uh, you know, and, and, but, you know, you go in there and you can, you can update all that stuff and you can make sure that we've got your current information, address, and all that kind of stuff or whatever, too. So, uh, you know, cool stuff. Uh, check that out. Uh, also, make mention of this, and we'll make mention of it again later, but we have a grief share class that starts next week. This is the first time we've ever done this. If you are struggling with loss, uh, you know somebody that's struggling with loss, this is a great opportunity. I mean, a, gr a group of people that don't know each other, haven't been together, uh, so it's not like you're going to be feeling left out or something and everybody else is going to have the inside jokes or something. Uh, you know, um, this, is, this is a great opportunity to be a part of something like this. It starts next, next Sunday. Uh, it goes for 13 weeks. Uh, it'll be from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if, uh, if you want to be a part of that, again, there's registration online, out there, all of the places, on the app, all the things. You guys are going to be playing with these apps through the message today. I know you, you know, so you can be doing ministry, right? Um, so, no, we'd, we'd love for you to, to look into all that stuff. That'd be awesome. So, anyway, let's go ahead and jump into this because I want to, I want to go through this passage today. And this passage is like, it's like three passages but it really is one passage. It feels like three passages when you read it, but it's really all like one thing. And I, I want to make sure that we get, get all of it and it makes sense to you. 
so that it doesn't feel like that we came here for no reason at all. Uh, and uh, and uh, I want God to be glorified through his word. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They would be glad to bring you a Bible. Uh, just wave your hand up in the air and let them get you one, and uh, they will be glad for you to have one. In fact, if you don't own one, consider that one a gift, and we'd love for you to have it. Uh, just uh, let them help you uh, to have it. And uh, yeah, we're going to Mark chapter 11. And uh, we've been rolling through the book of Mark uh, right at one year now. Uh, I got told uh, last Sunday somebody pulled up their notes from the first week we were in Mark, and it was the day after. It was Monday. It would have been the date, whatever the date of Monday of this past week uh, was. That's, that was when we first started Mark. So we are officially a year into Mark, uh, and we're closing in on this thing. It's, uh, it's starting to come down because we, we've gotten to a place in the book you know, where really, and I've talked about this last few weeks, is that the book of Mark is kind of in two, kind of in two sections. It's not really two sections, but it feels a little like two sections. Where the first part of Mark, Jesus is like just hammering. I mean, just hammering, you know, serving one another, serving others, and all this stuff. Uh, and he'll continue to talk about that some. We'll see that some uh, as we have some pretty key passages of Scripture still to come up here uh, that are pretty awesome. Um, but you have kind of like a turn, if you will, in the, in the book of Mark where Jesus says, you know, uh, the, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that first part of that verse, he's talking about he's come to serve and that he's come to give his life as a ransom for many. And so you've got that first part of the book of Mark, which we see is like really service heavy, serving others heavy. And then the second part is sacrifice heavy, that he came as a ransom to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, you know, what, what he's saying there is, is you know, he's, he's saying the, these two things go hand in hand, you know, serving and sacrifice, uh, and, and, and he's the example for us. And, and I think that's true for our lives, to be honest with you. I think that, I think obviously Jesus is the only one that could be the sacrifice for our sin. He's the only one that, that could die on the cross, that we could be forgiven if we believe in him and all of those things. Uh, but there is this understanding there, too, that as he is saying, I've come not to be served, but to serve, he's saying for us, like, that's us, too. And I think also he's saying that, you know, there's part of our life that, and, and, he, and not just saying it, he's going to be teaching through it, there's parts of our life that just are sacrifice-heavy. There's parts of our life where we have lives where we give of ourselves that we uh, struggle through and are trying to get through, and you know, and it's really about these you know moments of sacrifice along the way, and so um, we see all that, and 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 so to kind of get us going in the direction of where we're going today, I think it's good for us to remind like the remind ourselves of like the context of what's happening here, and basically we've gotten to a point where Jesus and his disciples have been they've been serving others. And then they were going to Jerusalem, and they made it to Jerusalem. And last week, we talked about that. We got into the passage where Jesus finally makes it to Jerusalem. And there's quite a journey involved and lots of things that happened along the way. And we talked a whole lot of, about different things. If you, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't here, you can check it out online or whatever, uh, via podcast or Facebook uh, Live or whatever. Uh, but, you know, just an amazing, amazing passage, like when you really take it in and kind of see what's going on with it. And so today... We've got this passage where Jesus got to Jerusalem, and if you remember last week, he got to Jerusalem, and he went to the temple, and he like stepped into it, and he looks around, and then he's like, all right, let's go. 
And that was it. And it felt very like anticlimactic, you know, and it was like, Buzz kill Jesus, what are you doing right now? Like, what's, what's happening here? And so we talked about that, and we talked about some, some key elements and things of how important that was uh, for even just that to happen. Again, you can go listen to the thing from last week. I'm not going to rehash it. Uh, and so this week, we're picking up next day, okay? This is Passover week, right? We talked about this last week. Jesus shows up, Passover week, first day of Passover week, huge celebration, right, from from uh, God's people being released and, and getting freedom from the Egyptians. So huge celebration, like this is the Super Bowl of its day. Everybody goes to the party in Jerusalem on Passover week. Jesus shows up the first day of Passover week, fulfills all of these prophecies of how this is going to happen, that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to ride in on a donkey, and that people are going to you know, go crazy and, and put their cloaks and the palm trees, you know, palm branches and all this kind of stuff. Palm trees might be kind of tough to get over. Uh, you know, it'd be kind of like something around here at 24 this morning. Uh, but no, it's so, you know, but you get the idea, like it's a huge thing, huge thing. Triumphal entry is what we refer to that passage as because everybody's so excited about the Messiah coming. Word had gotten out of, of this guy, Jesus, this is the guy, and he's the one, and he's here to fulfill all the thing. And they think, oh, man, he's coming to save the day. And he is coming to save the day. He's just not coming to save the day the way they thought that he should. So Jesus and his disciples are now in the area, and today they're going back to Jerusalem. So on the way to Jerusalem, we have this little ditty right here in this passage that has actually been controversial for people uh, over the years. In fact, I've, I've read like how people uh, couldn't believe in Jesus because of this passage and you know all these different things. And truthfully, 100%, it's because they're not understanding or wanting to understand the context of what Jesus is doing. So I'm going to go ahead and give something away here because I think it's important as I'm trying to lead us through this passage this morning. As I said, this passage looks like three passages but it really needs to be taught as one passage. And Mark is doing something that Mark does over and over as he writes uh, this for us, and it's called sandwiching, okay? He, he, he's, he's making a sandwich, all right? Mark is making a sandwich out of, out of you know, what we've got here and how he tells a story. And so he tells this story about a tree, and then, it, and then we've got a story about Jesus going into the temple and raising all kinds of you-know-what, and then we've got a story of, of the disciples and Jesus heading back, and they pass the tree again, and it feels like three different stories, or it feels like this one story, and then there's this one thrown in the middle, but it's all on purpose. And so I'm telling you that so that it's uh, hopefully leading us through this that makes it more understandable. So you can be asking yourself questions like, why did Jesus put these things together? What in the world is going on? So check this out. Let's look at it. Mark 11, verse 12, and it says this. And it says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. So Jesus sees a tree. It's a fig tree, okay? And it's in leaf, which means that it should be blooming something, okay? Uh, and and we'll, I'm going to talk a little more in depth about each of these things here in just a minute, so we'll keep going. Uh, he says he went to see if he could find anything on it. In other words, he's looking for something to eat off of it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, 
for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Basically, Jesus just cursed this tree. So again, this is one of those passages, like if you take it by itself, you would look at it and you go, what? Like this makes zero sense right now. Why is, why, is Jesus throwing a temper tantrum? Like because like Jesus didn't get his way, he didn't get some figs to eat, and all of a sudden he's just going to be mad at this tree, so mad that he's like, well, forget you tree, you'll never, you'll never bear anything again, you know? No. That's not what's going on, and because that's not what's going on, I'm going to keep reading, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk through these things. It says in verse 15, in verse 15 it says, and they came to Jerusalem. So again, Jesus and the disciples are on their way. That's when they saw the fig tree was on their way. They're on their way to, back to, into Jerusalem. They've just been right outside of town. They're going back into town now. It says, and he entered the temple and begin to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, I don't know when the last time was you went to church and somebody tried to sell you a pigeon. But, yeah. This is going on. Verse 16 says, And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. They, for they feared him because of all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So now we've got yet another story. We had the fig tree. Remember that? Okay. Jesus curses the tree. We'll get into more of that here in just a minute. We'll come back to it. And now we've got this situation where Jesus finally makes it to the temple. I mean, things were going so great. You know, I mean, just, just yesterday of Passover week, Jesus is entering into town, and it's what's known as the triumphal entry. I mean, it's like, it's the deal. It's the party. Everybody's like, oh, it's Jesus. It's the Messiah. Here's the, here's the cloaks on the ground and the donkey. And, you know, I mean, it's like all the things that you think of when you had a party in college or something, you know? And, uh, and so Jesus is, you know, Jesus is, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm going I'm to ride this out. Like, let's have, let's like, let's keep the mood up, right? Uh-uh. Jesus comes back to the temple, sees what's going on in the temple, and immediately starts flipping tables. Now, i got to be honest with you. I really wanted to get a bunch of tables up here today and just start flipping tables. Just, and I was like thinking about it. I was like, well, it was like with the room we've got, like if I flipped a table here, it would be like down there. And it's like, it would be pretty cool. You know, it would have kind of an effect and all that. But, you know, we could woo a whole lot or whatever. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Jesus is doing this stuff, and, and, and he's, you know, he's upset. Jesus is upset. And, and again, part of this, you know, like what's going on with Jesus in this passage kind of thing has caused people to like, there's been people in history that have been like, I can't be a Christian because of that passage of Scripture. Jesus says he's one way, and he's love, and he's this, and he's peace. And, and, then, and then he's over here, he's flipping tables, he's cursing trees, and, you know, uh, he, would, he wouldn't do that to his creation, and, you know, 
And, and truthfully, that is the only miracle that we see Jesus do that actually causes destruction. Well, we'll, we'll get there. I just, I just gave something away. So now we've got this situation where he goes in the temple and he sees this stuff and he's upset about it. And so his reaction is he's kicking these people out. He's like, get out of here. Get out of here with all your animals and all your stuff. Get lost. And as you can imagine, uh, he's not making a lot of friends doing this. I'm going to explain with further depth in just a minute, like really where this goes. And you'll see just how angry he probably really is making some people because it gets real personal for some of them. Before that, I want to read the third section of the passage, okay? So let's read the third section of the passage. It's verse 20, and it says this. It says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. So the very next day, they're passing by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them. Now, I'm thinking he's going to give like some explanation to like clearly explain exactly why he did this to this tree. Not necessarily the case, but he gives us something that's very important, and he says this. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your, your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Not one mention of the tree. My, my dad did this to me the entire time I grew up. I don't know if anybody else has parents like this, where like you would ask them a question. You're like, why can't we... Uh, one, one of our questions when I was growing up was like, why can't we be a normal family and buy lots of fireworks every, every year and like blow stuff up? You know, I'd have to like save up my own money for fireworks, you know? My parents thought it was like a waste of money. Maybe it is, but it's a fun waste, Right? And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I would ask a question like that, and then I would get, like, this really long answer, you know, and by the end of it, I'd be like, you never talked about the fireworks. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here, you know, and, you know. But anyway, in, in this situation, now we've got even some more information that Jesus wants them to know and understand, and it's part of the response of this whole thing. So why in the world? Why did Jesus curse this tree? Why would he destroy something that he created as a part of his creation? What was the importance to this? Well, again, as part of the sandwich, this fine bologna sandwich that Mark is helping us to see that really Jesus is the one that made it, is this understanding that What's going on with God's people in the temple is similar to what's going on with the tree. Let me throw something at you. The tree had the appearance of something that would bear fruit, but it didn't. 
the tree had the appearance, I emphasize that word, appearance, of something that would bear fruit, but it didn't. I studied a good bit on the fig tree situation this week. Uh, Some of it's interesting and some of it uh, I find is useless knowledge, uh, but I'm grateful to, to know and hopefully help, help us try to understand this passage or help me understand it. Hopefully you understand it too. So the fig tree deal, um, first of all, there's a lot of arguing back and forth of like what people think about the fig tree thing and specifically when it comes to like, was the fig tree supposed to have figs on it or not? Well, I think it's pretty understood from the passage. The fig tree was not supposed to have figs on it and Jesus knew that. You know, if you go back up to that passage, it says, uh, verse 13, And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So, that was a good one. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) That kid gets a trophy. The youth minister and me, like right now, wants to bring y'all up on stage and like celebrate. Um, <laughs> no, don't be sorry. We're we're glad that baby's in here. Um, man, that's that's so good. That's hard to recover from. <laughs> so back to the fig thing. You know, it, the crazy thing is, is like why people are arguing about whether or not there should have been figs on the tree to me is like the dumbest thing in the world because the passage says that there's, it was not the season for figs, the end of verse 13. It was not the season for, th- for figs. So one of the things that I, I studied on it and I found out about it and, and kind of a understood thing of many scholars and understanding of that time period and different fig trees because there were different kinds of fig trees and things that there were some fig trees that were at that point in time that um, at that time probably would have had uh, these little nodules that would grow on them that you could also eat. They weren't necessarily figs, but they were these things that apparently were really tasty, maybe with ketchup or something. I don't know. Uh, But nonetheless, it was something that Jesus was looking for, and he expected there to be something on there, which makes a whole lot more sense as to why Jesus, when he saw that it had leaves that it might have the nodule things. And so Jesus goes to it. He doesn't find anything on it. Of course, he curses it. Uh, It's withered away and it's dead literally from its roots up uh, by the very next day. So why? We go back to this statement. The tree had the appearance of something that would bear fruit, but it didn't. It had leaves, It had branches, it had leaves, the leaves especially, like that was a telltale sign, like Jesus expected to see something to eat on the tree. Uh, Of course, this is all part of a plan. Jesus knew what was up. Uh, But because of the leaves, it was thought that it would bear something to eat. But it only had the appearance of that. And this is exactly what was going on with God's people at this time. This is exactly what was going on with God's people, the Israelites, They, too, had the appearance of something that would bear fruit, but did not. You know what we call that, right? Hypocrites. One of our favorite words. Don't you love when you get in a conversation with somebody 
and, and, and somewhere in the conversation, you, you share with them, yeah, I'm a Christian, or I believe in Jesus, or Jesus saved me, or whatever. And, and how many of those times does that conversation go immediately into this other person that's talking to you, go immediately into, oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't go to church. I can't go to church because of the hypocrites, right? You know, I, I, there's too, too many hypocrites at church, you know, all this stuff. And, and you know, the truth is, is that they're, they're somewhat right. I mean, we know that. We know that we struggle. We're still sinners and all that. Uh, one of the things that um, Kent Hughes uh, shares in his commentary that I just thought was like gold is kind of this understanding about hypocrisy. And, and it's like, you know, we, we, we so interchange words sometimes that maybe we don't realize like the real meaning and understanding of like one word next to another word where maybe we're misusing something at times. Uh, and hypocrisy is if we claim not to do something and do it. If we claim not to do something, but we do it. So in other words, you know, like years ago, I said, I will never be the lead pastor of a church. I will never do that. I've seen my dad go through all this. I'm never going to do that. And so I, it came upon me this morning as I was teaching this in the first service that apparently for the last 14 years, I've been in hypocrisy because I shared that with many people that I would never do this. But for 14 years now, I have been. Oh, God bless it. So hypocrisy is when we claim not to do something, but then we do it. What if we don't claim to do something, but it's wrong? What are we then? If we don't claim to do something, but it's something we shouldn't do, it's wrong, what are we then? We're sinners. <laughs> We're sinners. And, and the truth is, is that we, we know that. We get that. I mean, that's no surprise to you today. I, I showed up here and, and shared with us that we're sinners. We're all sinners. We all have fallen short. We all have sin in our life. And if we understand Scripture, then we know that that sin separates us from God, and we need Him. We need a Savior to do something about that because we can't make up the difference because our sin deserves death. So God the Father sent his son to live the perfect life, to be the perfect lamb, to die the perfect death, to be sacrificed for our sin. He took the death that we deserve. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and because he is gracious. And anyone who believes in him today can be saved just the same. So, when we're looking at this, we're thinking about this. We're thinking about, you know, God's people struggling with this idea of hypocrisy, struggling with, you know, not doing the right thing. They're, they're, you know, really, really there's kind of this, there's this statement that like comes to mind over and over for me that we see in the passage here. And, and it's this statement of that we know them by their fruit. We know them by their fruit. God knew, Jesus knew, where his people were by their fruit. He knew that their hearts were not in the right place. But he loved them anyway. 
And you say, well, it doesn't seem like he loved him real well. He went into the temple and he cleared that thing out. What's going on? Like, is Jesus, it's, first of all, it felt, felt like Jesus was, you know, throwing a temper tantrum at the tree. Not the case. And secondly, it feels like Jesus is mad at his people, so he's going to kick them all out of the temple. Isn't that where he wants them to be? Yes, he does want them to be there, but there's a reason behind it. There's actually a couple of reasons behind it. A couple of reasons. Let's talk about the temple for just a second. The temple was made up of four courts, okay? And when I say courts, I'm not talking about like legal court. I'm talking about, you know, a courtyard court. Uh, you know, so the, for a church, if we thought about it in church terms, it might be like four worship center gathering places, you know, or something, you know. Uh, and so, you know, people would go, different courts, and the different courts were for different people. So I'll give you who they were for. You had the court for the Jews, okay? And you had the court for the Gentiles. And then you had a court for the women, okay? And if we had that modern day today, I'm imagining that like the inside of that thing would look like some Chip and Joanna Gaines thing threw up all over it or something, right? And then uh, the last one is not a court, but it's the Holy of Holies. So that's the four parts of the temple. And the Holy of Holies is where the priest, the high priest, uh, would go in and offer sacrifices for people's sin. Okay, so the reason all this is really important, and it is really important for us to understand this passage of Scripture, is because we're not used to the mindset that they lived in. Our mindset right now is that we know Jesus and we trust in Jesus for our forgiveness. We know the work that he's already done on the cross, defeating death, up from the grave he arose, hallelujah, we've been saved. All we have to do is believe and trust in him that that's true and it's, and it's a done deal. So for us, one of the things that I think that we have to understand goes back to that holy of holies piece which is that the high priest would take people's sacrifices into the Holy of Holies, sacrifice something on behalf of their sin. So think about that for just a minute. So you're constantly trying to keep up with the sins that you've committed, right? And you want to make sure that you've got a sacrifice that kind of corresponds with the level of sin you've been doing recently, right? On top of all this, we're talking about Passover week. We're talking about Super Bowl Sunday of the temple. We're talking about people coming from hundreds of miles, walking days, weeks on end to get there just to be able to make their sacrifice and celebrate what God has done in freeing their ancestors from the Egyptians. That's what they're up to. That's what this is about. So in this moment, this understanding of like all of these people doing this, this is, this is a real big deal because this gets into what is going on in the temple and why Jesus goes in and starts turning over tables and kicking people out is because all of these people are part of this crazy, crazy, crooked economic system that had been put into place at, with inside the temple at that time. In other words... The leaders over the temple, the Sanhedrin, all these people, whatever, they had figured out a way to get the temple to make money. And I'm not talking about some money. I'm talking about a lot of money. They're preying on people. Think, think about it with me for just a second. 
Think about that if you are traveling from, let's say you're traveling from 20 miles away, and you've got this perfect lamb that you want to sacrifice to make sure that God knows that your heart is in the right place at trying to get forgiveness of your sin, but you got to take this lamb 20 miles. And, and what's that look like? Because we're not, you're not jumping in your super duty or something and throwing the lamb in the back. I mean, this is, you know, they're walking. They're carrying this animal. And by the time you have gotten 20 miles to be there, lamb, lamb's a little dirty. Maybe even a little scuffed up. Maybe even a little frazzled. And, and this begins to, in your legalistic spirit at that point in time, this begins to set in on you as you're, you're thinking, man, God is not going to be happy with the sacrifice. I don't know if he's going to cover all those sins. This is not good. So the good people of the temple at the time, they saw this as an opportunity. They said, you know what? What if we get some of the best shepherds together and some of the best farmers together and let's start raising these lambs and let's just have us a fast food drive-through window lamb service ready to go for anybody coming to the temple. So tons and tons of people would come to the temple wanting to buy the animal that they were going to sacrifice because they couldn't carry it with them. They couldn't bring it with them, or maybe they didn't have one. On top of this, on top of this, this gets really good. On top of this, they're so creative that they say, well, you know what? People are going to need to come and, you know, they're going to need to, to buy these things. But, you know, if we uh, would say, well, the government's money has idols on it because it has other men on it, then we can't accept that. But we can exchange that for, let's say, our own currency. It's like going to Chuck E. Cheese and you want to ride the rides, but they don't take your quarters. You know, used to be tokens. Now you got to have a card. If you haven't been recently, you got to have a card, you know? And, and same thing, making their own currency. All of a sudden, we can, we can jack up all the prices. We can ask whatever we want. And then on top of that, we're going to take all their money. We're going to sell them this worthless money that we got. So we're going to make money on the money. And then we're going to make money on selling them stuff. So they would sell them all kinds of stuff. Pigeons, okay? Remember the pigeons? Like God trying to sell pigeons, all right? Pigeons, lambs, oil, salt, anything to do with making the sacrifice. We got your one-stop shop for your sacrificing right here. On top of, get ready for it, your temple tax, which we're going to put that in place next week here at 24. So, <laughs> just a joke. Just a joke. Um, you see where this is going. I mean, how could Jesus not be upset about this? How could he not be upset? How could he not want to go in and clean house on what's going on when he not? And, and let me just tell you what, the thing, that I've, the thing that's really gotten me the more I've thought about it as I've been thinking about through all this is remember last week's message, we talked about how Jesus went and he, he got, finally got to Jerusalem. And what did he do? He goes into the temple, he looks around, and they leave. Hmm. 
He's just checking in, making sure, oh yeah, this is still going on. Because guess what? Jesus was there three years before. Jesus saw what was going on three years before. I'm going to assume that it was that way when he was 12 years old and he went and taught at the temple for a minute as well. So Jesus has spent his entire life not saying a word about this. And over time, I'm sure that, I'm sure that he has had this holy anger. I'm sure that's a part of it. But I'll be honest with you, I think the bigger piece of this thing is that Jesus was weeping over his people. He was weeping. His heart was broken because they had switched gods. They had said, we're here at the temple where we bear good fruit. But the truth is, is they didn't bear good fruit anymore. Their God wasn't God the Father anymore about to send His Son, the Messiah, to save the world. Their God was the God of money. They loved money. And they had figured out how to utilize their positioning. Here's another piece of this. They were utilizing their positioning. They felt like because they were God's chosen people, okay, that basically they could get away with whatever they wanted to. Well, God won't mind because, I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's all, it's all for his name. We're, we're, helping, we're helping everybody worship him. We're helping everybody with their sin problems. Like that lamb? Oh, yeah, that's a good one right there. Yeah, we'll take 50 grand for that lamb. That'll be a good, good price on that. Give us all your money. What, you don't have that much? Well, you better cough up whatever you got, or boy, is that sin going to hurt if you died tomorrow, right? Shysters. And Jesus knew it. Not in small amounts either. Josephus, who is an ancient historian, historian especially of uh, Jewish culture and uh, a lot of, of what we have, and uh, especially biblical times and that kind of thing, um, has by fact that in the year of uh, 65 A.D., or A.D. 65, I think that's the way you're supposed to say it, Josephus says that there were, and this is a widely understood number, by the way, from him, all commentators talk about it, that he, uh, he has on record that there were 255,600 lambs sacrificed in that one year. Let me say it again. 255,600 lambs in one year were sacrificed at that temple. So let's just assume... Let's just, we'll be gracious. Let's just say that half of those lambs were sold in this little marketplace that they've got going on inside the temple. How much money that might be. By the way, if we were assuming that each lamb covered the sins of 10 people, which oftentimes they would, you know, put, put up a sacrifice for a whole family and a family would, you know, come as like your sister and their kids and, you know, how, you know how family stuff is, especially here in Chief County, you know. And, and so, you know, they'd come together, you know, and here we're brought, we, our whole family's brought this amazing lamb, or, you know, or we're buying this amazing lamb. If it was 10 people per lamb, it would be over 2.7 million people in that one year that were offering a sacrifice for their sin. This was big 
business. Jesus sees this moment as a time to restore the temple to what God had called it to be to begin with, which was what? He says right there, which is also from Isaiah 56, 7, by the way, to being a house of prayer for all nations. For being a house of prayer for all nations. Why is he saying that? Let me tell you why he's saying that. Remember the courts? You remember the different courts? We got the ladies' court. You know, Beyonce's playing the main stage or whatever over there. Y'all are rough today. Come on. <laughs> and then we've got, we've got the Jews' court, right? We've got the Holy of Holies, and then we've got the Gentiles' court. So guess what? All of this marketplace stuff is happening in one of the courts. It's not the ladies' court. I'll give you that one. Whose court do you think it is? The Gentiles. The Gentiles' court. You know why? Because most of the Jews were racist, and they did not want the Gentiles there. The only reason the Gentiles were there was because even from the Old Testament, they had an understanding of exactly what Jesus just said, that it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. If you don't remember, the Gentile people were like the half-breeds. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. We don't want them near us. They're going to give us cooties or something, right? And so, truthfully, the hearts of a lot of the Jewish people at this point in time was really hoping that when the Messiah showed up, that he was going to come and cleanse the temple of the Gentiles and get them out of there for good. And be like, oh, Jewish people, I'm... I'm so sorry you've been having to deal with all this stuff. You're really, you're really my favorites. You know, I, you know, it's just, it's just gonna be us. Don't worry about, don't worry about them. We've got them gone. That's what they were hoping for because they're racists. <laughs> you see, Jesus' heart wasn't just broken over the fact that they loved money more than they loved God. Jesus' heart was broken because they had taken up the area that was for the Gentiles to come and seek the Lord in. And so whereas they were hoping that the Messiah would show up and cleanse the temple of the Gentiles, <laughs> he showed up, all right, and he cleansed the temple for the Gentiles. Tadal. That's our Savior. He loves everybody. He's called us to do the same. This is the judgment of God on his fruitless people. Fruitless tree, no figs, no nodules, just leaves fruitless. The whole point of the tree was to try to help us and even his disciples to understand, and all those people that were following him around to understand, look, we can't be a fruitless people. We can't be that. We don't want to be that. He made a way for the Gentiles. 
Matthew 7, 15 says this. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This was a worship issue. This was a heart issue. Isn't it always a heart issue? I mean, when we really come back to it, isn't it always a heart issue that has now caused for them a worship issue where they love money more than they love God? And they've pushed serving people and loving on people that are not like them away for doing their own thing that gets them what they want. Man, does this sound familiar to us in this day and age? Where were their hearts? Where are our hearts? Jesus wanted the temple to be known as a house of prayer. Jesus wanted the temple to be known as a house of prayer. For all nations, by the way. For all nations. I've been thinking this week, so I've been reading this passage, I've been thinking to myself, like if Jesus showed up, I know it's kind of weird or whatever, but if Jesus showed up and like he went shopping at Hills and he's looking at their fine meat selection or whatever, he's talking to people in there and he gets to asking them about the churches in the area, just thought to myself, if Jesus asked some of those people in there, are any of the churches in this area, would you say that any of these churches in this area are known for being a house of prayer? i got to be honest with you, I've been kind of troubled by that question this week. It's not because I don't think that our heart's not in wanting to follow the Lord. But I think that we could all agree that, man, we, need to, we all need to just be better about seeking Him going to his throne, just praying, just asking for his leadership in our lives, in this body of believers? That's a big question to ask. Jesus, when asked about the fig tree from his disciples, you see his, you see his response, right? It's like this, Meandering about it's like what what, what happened to the fig tree? Like we talked for you talked for an hour after this, Jesus, but you never said anything else about the fig tree. He never says anything else about it. They're like, Rabbi, look, here's the tree that you cursed yesterday, and it's dying literally from its roots. This is the craziest thing we've seen in a while. And Jesus says, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. You're like, well, Chris, that sounds like really like, that sounds like really like some kind of like, you know, prosperity gospel thing. Like, are you saying that we can just pray for whatever we want and it's going to happen if we really believe it? Well, I take a systematic 
theology approach to Scripture. What else does Scripture teach us about such things? And I think we'll understand a little bit better. Um, Matthew 7.11 says, God delights to give good things to those who ask him. So yes, there is a part of that where God has joy even in giving of us in things that we might ask. James 4.3 says that capable of granting any prayer if we ask with godly motives. Now that just changed everything. That means that like, you're saying now, Chris, that just because I want to be rich, I can't just pray to win the lottery, is what you're saying to me now. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. I know that's heartbreaking for some of you that's been playing it for a long time. I won't call any names. I'm just going to point at them. And, <laughs> I'm just messing. And, 1 John 5.14 says, that as long as we are praying according to God's will. According to God's will. So if, if, if we're thinking about how we pray, and I, I'm giving us all this, I'm not, I'm not doing this so that like, we can be legalistic with how we pray, but I want us to pray in a godly way. We want to pray in a godly way. We don't want to be meandering through life and praying, oh God, give me whatever I want to, because that's not what God wants to hear, and he's not going to have anything to do with that. So what pastor would I be if I'm not telling us and helping us to understand how we can pray? And basically, when it comes down to it, yes, he delights in giving giving, giving us good things that we ask for him, but we need to do so with godly uh, motives and according to his will. So ultimately, the biggest prayer that we can constantly pray as we pray anything is, God, your will be done. Lead me. Your will be done. Lead me. A tree may grow, but it may not bear fruit. It talked about that in a passage. What did it say? Verse 17, Matthew 7, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And the question for us today is this. Are we good trees or are we diseased? Are we good trees or do we like need to get a penicillin shot? Like what, what is it? What's going on with us spiritually? Like where are our hearts? You're like, well, Chris, how, how do I know what my heart is supposed to look like? I'm trying to follow the Lord. Well, what did it say? Verse 20 of that same passage, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What kind of fruit are we making? What kind of fruit is coming off the tree of our life? You want to know what kind of fruit we're called to make? Here it is. You ready for it? I've got it. I'm glad you asked. Galatians 5, and 23 says it. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to give them to you just straight out. Love, patience, joy, Peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and everybody's favorite, self-control. So here's what happens. If we, because we don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to try to have more self-control today and be, you know, be full of gentleness today. I'd like to meet the guy that wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be full of gentleness today. That's going to be my mantra for today, gentleness, you know? No, these 
This is a cause and effect thing. This happens from when we seek the Lord and we spend time with him. He changes our hearts, and this is the fruit that comes out. We can't just, I'm, I'm just going to be nicer to people. We, I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, you, you could do that, but I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to be something that has a powerful effect for God's kingdom like what could be if it comes naturally out of us growing in our relationship with Jesus. That's the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Our lives should invite others in to meet our Savior. I'll say that again. Our lives should invite others in to meet our Savior. By our fruit, we are known. May we never be a people who turns away from our call as the church. May we never alienate a group of people. And, I, and, and you say, Chris, that's a crazy thing. And, you know, we would never. Listen, I, I can name to you churches right now that I love. I love these churches. I won't name them. I can name to you churches right now who have alienated other people because they don't like where they've been. They don't like where they've come from. They don't like the color of their skin, whatever it is. I'm telling you right now, we have to decide that we will never be that church. And we won't be. We can't be. Because it is not the church God has called us to be. And if you're here today, and you've never trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, let me tell you something today. He loves you. And the Father sent Him to die for you that you too could have the peace of being a part of the family of God, being forgiven of your sin, never having to worry about that again. More importantly, he wants to change your life. Your life was made with a purpose to glorify God, to make him known in this world. You can't do that on your own. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to glorify God. We need Jesus to save us. We need Jesus to forgive us of our sin. Praise God for what he's done for us. For those of us that are believers today, I pray that we would be challenged. That we would recognize the fruit that comes from our lives. And I pray that by it, we would be known to be his people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and helping us to understand it. And God, I pray that as we are seeking you, God, that you continually help us. Help us to understand it even more and more all the time. God, I pray that we would never turn in to the money changers. I pray that we would be Jesus followers. God, show us what that looks like not just on Sunday mornings, but in every way, every day of how we live. God, thank you so much for allowing us to come and to worship you. God, I pray that you're glorified in our lives. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.